0: This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. How is everybody? Good. Good. I'm glad to see, I know, glad to be out. I'm so glad to see people in person, and I think as the uh, vaccines are being, We're going to see more and more people get out, obviously. And um, my dad, God love him, yesterday, I had made an appointment for him to get his COVID shot, and it was on Reno, and gave him the address, sent him a couple of emails, and he called an hour after his appointment, said he's lost. He's on Northwest Highway, and missed his appointment. So I haven't heard, see if he got it or not. But my dad and I have more problems with Now, I'm a real estate agent. I've been a real estate agent since 1991, and I am used to telling people how to get where they're supposed to be. But my dad and I do not communicate effectively when it comes to where and when we are supposed to be at what time. So, uh, I don't know about you guys, but you may have children in your life that you love dearly, but you just don't communicate well with. I'm I'm not the only one, am I? All right, so uh, so prayers for my dad that if he didn't get his shot yesterday, we'd get him rescheduled. So, Jamie, you can give him a hard time. Call him up, tell him, and he told the story. <sighs> All right, so I don't know if we I don't see any new faces in the room, but I'm going to ask just in case. Is there anybody here that's here for the first time? Yay! Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. I'm Nikki Bucklew, and I'll be your moderator for today. And... Uh, and uh, lots of very seasoned faces in the room. Some of these people have been coming five or six years now, right? Matter of fact, I want to make a special shout out. There's some folks up in the front row that you see that have reserve signs up on their table. These are downsizers club members. So you guys go, yeah, we're downsizers, And all that really means is that they know that they're going to make a move in the next, say, five years or so, and they're getting a head start. And so we've got a little bit more of an intimate group that meets monthly, specifically to gear up and make preparations for downsizing uh, as as time goes on. So thank you guys for being here, welcome. Naomi told me last month, after our last seminar, we, we made the announcement about the Downsizers Club, and I told everybody we have a limited number of spots, right? And the reason for that is everyone gets A number of consultations that are complimentary consultations whether it be with us or some of our resource team members and it takes a little bit of doing to get those scheduled right and so Naomi called me after our last month and she said okay Nikki we're done you have to cut it off and I said why and she said because we got all these phone calls and everybody's gonna want to meet and we don't have time so she said can we cut it off for at least a little while so if you all know Naomi she's the one that calls to remind you right about being here and she's in charge of my life basically and so when Naomi says, Nikki, your calendar's full, she means it. So we still have space for Downsizers Club members, but just know that you may not get your first meeting with somebody for a couple of weeks, okay? So if you still wanna do it, talk to Shannon or uh, myself or Lori after the meeting, and, uh, and you can certainly sign up. But um, we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about spending your nest day Spending your nest egg. Some of you are going, I don't have a nest egg. Some of you, like my friend Jean yesterday, she said, Nikki, my nest egg is scrambled. (laughs) And uh, she just spent a significant amount of her nest egg on her next living situation. And I want to tell you about Val before I bring our panelists up because this kind of speaks to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're going to talk about kind of the the technical side of finances and spending your nest egg, right? But we're also gonna talk about the psychology of it, the mindset around it, because everybody has a different mindset. Valerie, who is a a resident out at Concordia that I've known uh, for several years, she's actually a retired realtor, I found out when I first met her, and she was involved in a focus group that we did early on at Concordia, and we asked the question of those folks that had moved into a CCRC, what made you decide to do this? Like, how did you think about um, spending some of your your hard-earned retirement, your investments and things like that, on moving someplace that you had a monthly fee and potentially an entry fee? And her comment was very revealing, and I'd never heard anyone say it this way. Val said, you know, Nikki, when I bought my home and then paid it off, she said, I saw that home as my investment. It was an investment in where I would live. And then when I sold my home, I had equity in it, and I took that equity and I reinvested it in my long-term care. And I went, okay. I'd never really heard it put that way before. But for her, it wasn't, I have all this money that I've saved up and I don't want to spend it. It was, where do I reinvest it now that I'm getting older? And and at that point, Val was around in her 80s, as I recall. And she said it was important to me to make sure that I use that money wisely um, to make sure I had care for myself so that's how she saw it now I have other people who see it very differently and we'll talk about that as our panelists come up today because different people have different mindsets around money so we're going to be talking about um, planning ahead so that's the key takeaway for today and I have two really smart people that are going to sit up here with me come on up Danny and Curtis give them a hand and, uh, you know, I was putting the slide together for this, and I wanted to make sure I got you guys' credentials right. I'll have you explain what the devil those initials mean here in a second. But when I put them up there and then I put my name up there with it, I thought, you know what, I'm going to put PhD up there, but I want to make sure everybody is clear that it has nothing to do with money or finances, which means I'm smart in a, in a, a lot of ways, but not this one, okay? so. Anything I say about money, just ignore it. Chris will tell you, he does, okay? These guys are the money guys, and when I say smart, I mean uh, well-rounded smart, not just like smart. Yeah, like these guys are worldly smart. That's what I like about them. So it's not just about money. They understand uh, the psychology behind it too, right? So uh, so I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you. All right, so Danny, you've got a mic there. Um, have You go first.
1: Tell everybody who you are and what in the devil do all those initials mean? Give us an idea of kind of what your background is. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, the acronym SOOP. Yeah. Um, right. So, my name is Danny White. I'm a senior trust uh, wealth advisor at RVEST. And what the MPAS is, is a master planner advanced studies uh, as part of a, a master's program. I completed a master's finance, also had a CFP, which is the next one certified financial planner. Thus, I achieved a master planner status. And then the third is a CTFA, which is a certified trust fiduciary advisor. So, that's what it is. What does that
0: mean, certified trust?
1: So, uh, typically, most uh, trust officers will be CTFAs. They will have that designation. And so, I come from the trust world, and work heavily in it. Therefore, that's that's what we do. And really, what it is is a, um, a credential that indicates. That an individual has been through extensive training and passed a, a pretty serious exam with regard to acting as a fiduciary for people, which means that they are acting in the best interest of that individual based on that individual's wishes.
0: So you're held accountable for taking care of people's money that may not know either be able to take care of their own or may have tasked you with doing so. Got That's right? correct. Yes. Okay. Right. So there's During a high lifetime
1: and after death. High amount of trust involved in that. Yes.
0: You
2: also have that alphabet suit, uh, but you have a, diff- a diff- different one, CWS. What does that involve? Well, I'll just say if this is a scramble game, he's winning. Um, and I just have a comment about these certifications. There's a lot of those sorts of designations yeah. out there. Some of them mean nothing, and I would I would tell you that these mean nothing because there's a lot of people who can be book smart, but it does does demonstrate a level of expertise or not expertise effort that's gone into improving our skill set and our. Our knowledge base in the things that we do. So the CTFA is really a design, an industry designation that the American Bankers Association mm-hmm. does. It's a three-year program, um, very intense, very demanding, very challenging, and it ends mm-hmm. with an exam. and has very robust uh, continuing education requirements um, that they'll pull that designation. You won't be able to use it. It's trademarked. You wouldn't be able to use it if you didn't continue to do that training because there's always got something to learn. And the other comment was, when she called us smart, I'm thinking, I'm not very smart, but I've got a lot of miles on me. I've, I've, I've been through a lot, both personally and professionally, that I think have made me better at what I do. Um, and we just have a lot of experience dealing with matters of all sorts. So when people ask me what I do for a living, it's, or what what can we do for our clients, it's kind of like, what what do you need us to do? And, and I'll tell you if we've had that experience before. Um, the CWS is, is a uh, designation that comes to a different um, uh, training organization called the uh, uh, Cannon Financial Institute and they're out Georgia. <coughs> and it's really about helping people of really high net worth, usually business owners, talk about, you know, develop strategies for anything from business planning to, you know, exit strategies, you know, estate planning. It's, it's really all encompassing and, and uh, same set of circumstances. You go in and you do very intense training and uh, it demands a lot of uh, continuing education. Um, Canon is is agnostic in terms of profession. You could be in the insurance world, you could be in the financial planning, you could be in the brokerage world, you can be in the trust world. It just seems to be dominated more by people in the in the trust community than than anywhere else. So.
0: So I bring this up, thank you guys for sharing that. And I bring this up because of what Curtis just said, there's lots of alphabet soup out there in the financial world, right? And I usually look at these people's business cards or I look at their websites or whatever the case may be and I see these initials and I make assumptions sometimes about those initials. And I have started getting smart about that and asking the question, what does that mean? Tell me about that. How did you get it? Right? Uh, We were having a little short conversation earlier about going to senior living communities and how The perception that we have sometimes as a consumer is that they're interviewing us to see if we're a fit. And the reality is we should be doing what? Interviewing them to see if they're a fit, right? And so what I just did was a demonstration of interviewing a professional person to find out what the heck does that mean and what does it mean to me. Did they do a pretty good job of effectively answering that? Yeah, I didn't prep them for that on purpose. Yeah, give them a hand. Yeah. So, but I did not prep them for that. Day. No, she did not. <laughs> and, and I really, what I'm listening for, you guys, when I interview people for things like this, for whether they're on a the panel or whether or not I want to make a recommendation to somebody, is I'm asking myself, how humble are they sometimes, right? Are they so arrogant that they think they know everything about me before they ask me a question? Or are they humble in the fact that, like Curtis says, I want to know, tell me about you before I can tell you how I can help you, right? And both of these guys are of that nature. So we're going to dive in. I just wanted you to get a feel for you who you had up here in the front of the room as we got started. Um, I shared with these guys my thoughts about the makeup of the room, and I put this on a slide. I don't know if you guys can read this or not, but the print maybe. Kind of small, but we have, uh, you know, we have a whole vast group of people that come to our seminars and who are listening from home. Hi, you guys at home! I forgot to say hi. We have about sixty or so people listening in live from home, and we'll have people listening to the recording. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to make assumptions about who we're speaking with. So we have five buckets of people, basically, right? And we're going to talk. I'm just going to review who these are, and then we're going to talk through kind of what some of the financial issues are. So and if I've if I missed somebody, Danny, you and Curtis correct me, right? But our, in our world, tell them that um, that's a really good song, Jan. That's, that makes me want to get up two-step. All right, so t- so the bucket number one is homeowners without a mortgage. Most of our folks don't have mortgages, some do, but then we have people who are heavily invested, they have moderate to substantial income. And you guys work with a lot of people that are high wealth, right? Yes. Yeah, they own their homes, they may have more than one home, right? Uh, what percentage of the population would you say that is that maybe falls in bucket number one?
1: Um, it's in our space, where we typically deal with that higher net worth uh, arena, it's it's pretty high percentage. But overall, on a, a total client base, as you look at it, yeah. yeah, it's it's probably around 20%. It's not it's not as much as you would think. Okay,
0: all right. Now the second bucket, I would say, is probably more of those folks, right? Yes. They they don't have a mortgage. They own their home. They have some investments in reserves, and they have a fixed, more moderate income. They may not have a really high Income level, high net worth, but they're they are they are doing okay, yeah. And when you look at senior living, we talked about this. The first person in that first line, they can choose anything they want. This conversation to them is probably not going to happen in a room like this. It's, it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna want to meet with somebody after this and say, okay, tell me about my situation. How does this work for me? Because we can't generalize, right? Exactly,
1: and it varies. I mean, if, it's kind of like buying a house right now in this market. If you can write a check for half a million, you can buy anything. Yeah. But there are situations where that doesn't apply, so it takes a little bit of planning and discussion to get down to what what can we actually accomplish. Right.
0: And those people in different buckets have different fears and concerns, right? Absolutely, yes. The person in the top bucket doesn't—they don't have no fears or concerns, right? They have some.
1: Yes, they do. Uh, they even we find that people in that bucket still have concerns about outliving their money. Yeah. that's that's a primary concern and usually the top one on.
0: Yeah, so it's true of everybody, isn't the- it? Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're always. It goes back to the question: How much is enough? Right. Yeah. The third bucket is a homeowner again without a mortgage, but this person may have only a only a house and really no other reserves, um, and they're on a fixed, limited income. Uh, it's not going to get. They're not going to make more money. That what they're getting is what they're going to get, probably from social security or something like that. Um, very common, um, obviously, and, and that person has paid off their home, and so that's, a lot of times, that is the next day. Um, the next bucket is here where we get into a little bit of a different situation. So this, this person may have a home, but they may have a mortgage. Maybe they have a home equity line of credit, or they have a reverse mortgage, or they purchased a home recently and they still have a mortgage on it. Um, they really don't have a lot of other reserves, and uh, we don't really know what their income is. I just kind of put on their variable because they could have a lot of income or they could have not a lot of income. And then the last one, this would be someone who's not a homeowner. Uh, maybe they've either liquidated their property already or have never owned a home. Maybe they're living with family. Uh, their reserves are low. Maybe they've spent what reserves they had. And again, we don't really know what their income might be. It could be across all across the board, right? So, what would you say is the other than people thinking to themselves, gosh, I've, is there a possibility I could outlive my money? Um, what other concerns do you see people having as it relates to money that are
1: kind of those high-level, everybody has concerns? So, our, one of the main things is, are, are we going to be able to accomplish our goals? And so, when you go through a planning process, and that's what financial planning does for people, when you go through that process, we try to answer the question, of how much is enough relative to your goals?
0: Yeah, what
1: do you and, mean goals? And So we do set goals people for- people want to have
0: goals after they get, yeah. after they retire? Maybe? Yeah,
1: it's amazing. So um, oh, you would find that people like to travel, um, oh, that's oh, a goal. Yeah. Uh, you find maybe that they want to buy another house. I've seen that uh, very commonly. Also other goals is they want to be able to trade vehicles every five years or something like that. And So all these goals have a financial impact. And so as we, sit down with people in planning We find that goals are, they they come to the top and it becomes a concern, will I be able to accomplish that? And what that planning process does is, how much risk do we have associated with our financial capacity? And can we accomplish those goals with less risk or do we need to adjust our goals to our current risk pattern? Okay,
0: so let's kind of talk about phase of life, right? So phase of life. So you mentioned uh, people are thinking maybe they want to be able to buy a new car for five years or buy another house or travel. Um, Are you noticing that, because the word goals is what I'm I'm really getting at here. I've talked to a lot of people, I say, what are your goals? What do you mean by goals? People stop thinking about goals sometimes, but they still have them, they're just not defining them as goals, right? So some people, as people get older, what so I'm thinking what some of their goals are is to make sure that they have healthcare needs met or that their house is equipped so that if they need in-home care, someone could come in and stay with them. Do you see a phase of life change in goals?
1: We do, and there's. It, it, you talked about the psychological aspects of money and how that affects people. And as, as we do work with clients, as they begin to age, we do see a shift in those goals. And it's not necessarily the other goals don't exist, but the prioritization of those goals change. Okay. And So we'll see that specifically uh, healthcare uh, concerns begin to rise to the top. And it, I, it's interesting, as I've worked with people over the last 20 years, I find that when there's a, a healthcare or a health crisis or a scare, it moves that priority, that, that goal, way up the priority list. And so then it begins uh, to start the process of, okay, now will my money fund what I need versus what I want? Yeah. And that's the process that it goes through. So
0: goals can be needs and wants, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. and we classify them uh, in a planning process. There's a, there's a classification of a, a need, a want, and a wish. I mean, we broke it down relatively simply, and so these are the things that we know we need, these are the things that we would want to do, and these are the things that we really wish we could, you know, accomplish someday.
0: Okay, good. So Curtis, you talked to me a little bit about, uh, before the the meeting today, this study that you read from MIT about couples and the pre-planning process as it relates to, I think, what did you tell me? Um, satisfaction in retirement, is that the word that they use? Yeah, yep. talk, talk to I, me about that. Can Especially. I take
2: a little back real quick? Yeah, sure, 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 yeah. And, and one of the other, because I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mention this article only because it, it, it's another one I found. MIT has what's called the Age Lab. So they've got a, a you know, a, a think tank of people who are doing nothing but studies on um, aging and the age ed. Um, so it's an interesting resource, and I got there by seeing an interview with the uh, professor that kind of runs it. But one of the things that I thought, that we, I, look, I look at a lot of things in relative terms, so relatively speaking, I thought there were some things that I thought were very interesting. and It talks about um, the, the article, the, the article I'm looking at is entitled, Prompting Savings Behavior Through Social Comparison. Comparison. So this is making judgments about your, your place or your accomplishments or your um, status, whatever that might be, by looking around at how other people are living and, and behaving. And then I couple that with an article from a, a website here that talks about the average savings among Americans broken out by age group, and it was, it's pretty shocking. I knew that I'd seen articles that said the average savings for someone uh, 30 and under or a couple 30 and under was like $8,000. And then it jumps up to a, a robust $40,000 when they get into their 40s. Now, the, the, the young, upcoming generation, the, the millennials, are actually pretty good savers. Uh, I have a 21-year-old son who's, a, who's who works hard and tries to save every penny. He's very thrifty with it. But the, uh, the uh, article goes on to say that the uh, average, uh, and this is average savings by age. At 65 and over, the average savings is $54,000. Um, at age 75, it actually drops because, and for obvious reasons, but it drops to like $42,000. When I hear that and look at what most of us, you know, th- this is an average. This is, you know, for the for the the entire populace. Uh, it's actually on a smaller sample, of course, but it's a it's an average. But uh, some people are going to look at that and go, "Oh, I'm average," and some people are going to look at it and go, I'm "Good grief, I'm below average," which would be a little a little scary. And then some people are going to go, "Hey, we've you know, noticed the husband or noticed the wife, and go, we've really done pretty well." So, um, based on what standard? That base, based based on based on comparing yourself to the right. average. But there's a danger in that too because you can't assume that all is well. So the the article I read, and that's that's one article. The other one I read is, is also through uh, the AIDS lab, and it talks about satisfaction in retirement, but they're looking at um, how planning um, enters into that equation. I told Nikki what was shocking to me is the, the level of satisfaction of people in retirement is not all that high. I think the highest rate among, among those who plan is only about 59 percent. And satisfaction is going to be measured on the level of things, but it's let's think about it, it's going quality of life, the ability to do the things they must do, the things they want to do, and then the things they you know wish to do. Yeah. Um so it, 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 that 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 was pretty profound. It reassures me that the things that we espouse, if you said see me on one of these panels over the last three years, two things you'll know is one, I don't have a filter, and the other is I, I repeat the same things because there's some things I have a strong conviction for. And it's not just me, it's the people I work with. And he's no exception. Um, so we talk a lot about the planning, but when you see articles like this that are about, you know, based on their, you know, um, quality research, it, it's, it's very reassuring I and mean, you can't deny the statistics. You can't deny the, the facts that, that come from these studies.
0: Curtis, let me give you an anecdotal uh, illustration of that. Yesterday, I went to Dallas. I drove down and back with uh, a client and friend of ours. She's our uh, was our broker for many years at our Keller Williams office. She's since retired and we've stayed in touch over the years. And She and her husband have made the decision to move down to Dallas to a CCRC down there. Uh, high rise in the very upper end, nice part of Dallas. And She used to live there, so she's very comfortable there. She's got a lot of friends there. She's, she loves driving there. I hate driving there. I was wondering yesterday, why am I driving? But. Uh, but we went to this community, and we're we're measuring and getting ready for a move and everything. And uh, one of the marketing team walked in and asked if she could show the the unit. It's a model, so it's furnished. And uh, we said, of course, you know. So they came in, and it was a couple, husband wife, with their son. And I I suppose the son was probably somewhere in my age range, and the couple was probably somewhere in my friend's age range, whatever you know that would be. And uh, the marketing rep was with him. Well, so the gentleman that came in, he was clearly not excited about being there, just saying. And you can tell by people's body language, right? So the son and the mom walked together. She was there to look around. The husband was there because somebody drug him there, maybe have even tricked him to be there. I'm not sure. But when he walked into the apartment, here's what he asked Gene, and this is what's very revealing, my friend. He said, have you all been thinking about this? After the marketing rep said Jean was moving there. And Jean said, Well, she said, We have friends that live here and we visited them about three years ago. And the man immediately, without a flinch, went, Yep, yeah, see, 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 we've been only been looking for three months. And he hadn't been planning. In his mind, this was a brand new idea, and he had not, he had not made the Turn to this could be a reality. His wife may have, but he had Jean on the other hand. She and her husband have been thinking about this for a while, and they're excited as can be. Like, she is giddy, like, this is she cannot wait to get moved. And I think that that planning issue is part of it is being prepared, and part of it is mentally being prepared, and part of it is financially being prepared. You think that plays a part in what that that level was, or that that
2: survey survey said? This would be an assumption, obviously, because you don't know, you know, it doesn't go into the narrative about people explaining why it is that their level of contentment is higher. But, you know, I'm, I I think I said this to Marilyn earlier, I said, you know, there's only two things in life that you can really control, and that's gonna be your your effort and your attitude. And I've used that in, you know, basketball, and all those sorts of things. So much is out of our control, and the human animal doesn't like that look at the stock market. When right. there's uncertainty, yeah. it flips out. So we don't like uncertainty. and These are the things that cause us stress. So when we do, you know, and any planner should have this same observation, is that when you do a thorough plan, whether it's through an advisor or not, at least you've developed a roadmap that gives you some confidence that you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. Some people don't feel very equipped to do that, and then some people have a hard time considering all of the Detours that life may pass at us and throw at us. Uh, not to mention the fact that you have to be adapted to the conditions. You know, the weather changes. And I don't mean that literally, but, but there's lots of variables. Yeah, and, of and they're always changing. That's the one thing we can count on, right? Um, so I think the idea that people have eliminated a level of uncertainty in their lives helps them, um, you know, implement the things they need to implement, change the things they need to change, and then forge ahead and live life as best they can. Um,
0: so Curtis, I'm going to shift gears on you, it's in line with what you're talking about, both you and Danny said this earlier though, is the communication aspect, okay? So let's assume people either have or have a plan. How important is this communication? Whether you're a couple, a single, whether you have kids or don't have kids, um, when you're making these plans, when you say communication is important, describe to me what you guys mean by that.
2: Well, obviously between the husband and wife, we we talked, we did a little kind of pre-planning this morning, and you know we talked about the things that are important. that We need to be sure we talked about. And again, if you've seen me on one of these uh, panels before, we talk about communication, and it's not just between a married couple, a husband and wife, but also with children. And sometimes that's a struggle. But how many? I think that we, we had a story where uh, you know a, a a child and his wife built on a, an additional you know mother-in-law. Or, Right. Apartment on a house, and then said, Look, look what we've done for you. The parents said, I don't want to live there. Right. Well, that's a great example right. of, of the, the pitfalls of lack of communication. So, when in, in our world, we're you know, we, we're certainly communicating with our clients um, and trying to pay attention to both needs because they aren't necessarily the same. Um, but how and, often do you see
0: couples that are not communicating? I mean, let's be honest, and where you are in the, in the business of that it may not be as much, but anecdotally Yeah um,
2: it's it's not that it's not that big an issue for us because that's that's why they come to us they're, they're already yeah. they're they're already wanting to do something. They they've come to the realization that they need an advisor, someone right. who can help them with that plan. And sometimes but,
0: an advisor also serves as a mediator, by the way?
2: So, sociologist, psychologist,
0: counselor,
2: mediator, intermediary, bad guy, good guy. If they're good they do anyway. Yeah I think you know yeah. The, the greatest generation um, gave gave way to um, very paternalistic family households um, and I think that uh, can be troubling in some cases because uh, we know that the husband tends to, 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 to pass earlier than the wife so um, you run into issues there it depends on the person of course but some things they just don't want to talk about or oh she doesn't understand or oh he doesn't understand but um, for us, I think it's a it's important that everybody kind of come to terms with that. I mean, I have a lot of and I'll, forgive me for saying it, but it's just the reality. I have I have uh, couples where the the husband you know has you know signs off on the plan and the wife just goes, well, I trust you, and those are scary words to me because I said I you know I want to I want to be worthy of that trust and I think I am and I'm gonna work hard for you, but I want you to understand what we're doing. The worst thing I could ever imagine you saying is. If someone says, what have you done? You go, I don't know, we just got this guy. That scares me a little bit.
3: Well, it
0: not only does it scare you, it scares people's adult children. Uh, A great example, again, Jean knows, I I told her, I said, I'm doing a seminar tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna talk about you all day long. She knows this, and she loves me enough to know that that I'm gonna do that. So here's the thing, she said, my son Craig called, and Craig is her oldest son, uh, I'm sorry, youngest son, and he's an attorney and he said, Mom, tell me whatever, and he asked her a question, and she said, he doesn't like the answer, I don't know, and she said, he asked me like three questions in a row, and her answer was, I don't know, and it freaked him out, right, like, you know what he thinks when she says, I don't know, that she's losing it. That, yeah, or that she's being scammed, and that and that's exactly right. She goes, he thinks that I'm not making good decisions, and I said, well, Gene, it's because you're not giving him information. Now, I said, there's a difference between asking for permission and feeling like he needs to be fully informed, but the answer isn't, I don't know. The answer is, well, when you want to come in town and sit down with me and my advisor, well, I would be glad to go over it with <laughs> you, and then put the onus on him, as opposed to this because he's doing, he unfortunately, he's giving her a hard time, and that's not fair either. So if, if she has the ability to at least answer the question, say, well, I do know the answer, but it's none of your damn business. Now, that's different, right, Then I don't know. So I'm just saying, I, I think for when I'm speaking for women in this case, is that I think it's important that our, our kids, or especially our sons, who may feel like they are supposed to take care of us, because who told them they were supposed to take care of us? their fathers take care of their mother. And now the mother is saying, I don't want you involved, and I don't know the answer to your questions, and the son is going, well, crap, right?
1: Yes. (laughs) And and to add to that, so what you find is that charge of care handed off to a son. Yeah,
0: it's kind of advocated in it. Yes,
1: and it also becomes empirical for them. It's something that they are charged to do and I have to do this. And the reality is it's an emotional conversational thing that needs to occur in order for those questions to get answered. Because the blunt force of a yes, no question or a short form question achieves the things that we just saw that either they think she's losing it, right? Or um, they think they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes.
0: When they came, uh, my friend and her husband, by the way, her husband's an attorney. (laughs) So she's got a son that's an attorney, a husband's second marriage, a blended family. The the husband's an attorney. The, The other son is a very accomplished business person. So these are smart people. They've done well for themselves. They're completely with it, by the way. And when they told their kids that they were going to move to this community, they had a contract. The kids wanted to see the contract. So they sent them the contract. Well, guess what the attorney did? What all attorneys do? He marked it up, right? And that's just what they're taught to do, so he marked it up. And then he went back to his mom and her husband and said, you need to take this contract to them and they need to change these things. He said, but they won't. And he's right, they won't. But the whole thing was, he he wanted to be involved and they did not communicate effectively. And here's the thing, they sprung it on, they said, They called him up and said, we are moving to a retirement community. They didn't tell them three years ago that they thought they might eventually move to a retirement community. And this fell on the cusp of a phone call she had with her one son, the younger son, the attorney's son, who calls her every day, by the way, they're very close. He called her and it was a Thursday evening and she said, I was playing Words with Friends. Y'all ever play games on your phone? She was playing Words with Friends and he called and she said he just talked da, 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 and so i ignore him and she said and so he asked mom what day is it and she said wednesday and he said it is not wednesday mother it is thursday now mind you she's retired and covid has been so she's not getting out much. She's not crazy. She just didn't know which day it was. Does that ever happen to anybody besides me? That yeah, was all, to the me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so then he asked her another question that she either didn't know the answer to or didn't answer to his liking. And guess what? He hung up the phone, called his brother, and they both booked flights to come into town <laughs> because Mom has lost it, and she's going to spend all this money going to a community. He looked at the contract of the community and said, "Mom, this is a scam." Now, this is a not-for-profit, high-end, luxury CCRC in Dallas that she had been researching for three years, and her husband had been researching for three years, and all of a sudden her son thinks that she's getting scammed. So I'm only saying this to illustrate a point in that you don't, it's not that she should ask for permission of her son, but had she given them a little heads up, it wouldn't have been quite as big of a deal, I don't think. Does that make sense? Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it really does. And so, this is a this is a subject that's very personal to me. I uh, just to inject a little bit of an anecdotal uh, analysis here. I had a grandmother who did the CCRC approach, uh, went to this continuing care uh, community, and it was a wonderful thing. She started out in an apartment. Then, when she needed more of an assisted living approach, moved to that. And then at the time where she needed long-term care, full-time. She moved to the long-term care facility, all part of that same community. Uh, then to, uh, in contrast, to give you a contrast, my own mother, to which I had written a financial plan for but failed to uh, implement, did no plan, and as a result, ended up being, uh, ended up with an Alzheimer's diagnosis, placed in a facility that we could have done so much better for her than she had, had there been some planning. So for me, it's heart wrenching to see when there's the ability to plan and accomplish things at at a much much better uh, rate than not planning, then it really breaks my heart to see families not communicate about these things because they got no communication. It was a second marriage situation with my mother. No communication. Yeah, and the pull end of that created some conflict, was hard, whereas my grandmother communicated all along the way of, I think probably around this time, I'll be moving, And if it moved up, she would tell me, I think within the next two years, we'll probably be moving to that. And so this, I, I encourage everyone, this communication piece is huge. It's something that has to occur, and the two, things that I find that people struggle with in discussion the most when it comes to planning. is number one on the list is estate planning. No one wants to talk about it because we're all gonna live forever. Two is care planning. That's the second on the list. People don't like to discuss giving, it's almost as if we think we're giving up our independence. Even when we go to CCRC, if some people understand that you're not. You're actually putting yourself in a better place To progressively better
2: care for yourself and and your loved one, your spouse. The plan is not complete without those components. And in past years, I keep going back to being a panelist. But one thing I said is, you know, the earlier you plan, the wider your opportunities are, your your options are. The later you plan, the more narrow they become, and sometimes you run out of options. And Danny gives a good example of that with his mother. I've got the same explanation being the same experience of my own mother thank God it was uh, it played out in a way that no one would have chosen had they planned earlier it's kind
0: of like having a tornado plan in Oklahoma right we've said this before you know you you know in your home where your place is to go should you need to go there and you hope you never need to go there right and if you do you know how to do it and where to go and you hopefully have a bottle of water there and a pillow or a mattress or whatever you need to get there but but the people who don't plan these are the same people who the tornado siren goes off and they look at each other and go holy crap where do we go well that's not the time you want to be trying to decide right where which closet you're going to dive into because i've seen some of your closets right <laughs> uh, so Not everybody is going to choose that. Um, so planning ahead for senior living is not only planning ahead if you're going to move. It's if you're going to stay put, whether it be due to financial reasons or, or otherwise. Um, how often do you all hear people say, um, like I hear fairly frequently, I'm just curious if you guys hear this too, I'm just going to stay where I am because my house is paid for it to be cheaper to live here than to ever have to make a move.
1: I get that a lot. I mean, you hear that too, I'm sure, Curtis. Um, I think,
2: go ahead. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm raising the microphone so I can nod yes. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, yes. Well No, I do hear that. And, um, you know,
1: there are other options available. Uh, you know, home care is available. Uh, there are many options. One thing, one of the, I guess, one of the pieces of good news today that in the state of Oklahoma, if you look across the grid of cost for even in-home care or uh, full-time care, Oklahoma sits below the national medium, median in all of those categories, okay? But it's still expensive. Right, right. <laughs> and it's all relative to the economic uh, arena that you live within. So uh, I think even though some people say that, yeah, I have my house, it's paid for, it's my greatest asset. uh, I'm gonna just stay here, that way I don't have to pay anything. There's a tendency to forget when at some point in your life you're going to need help, there's gonna be a cost. And so uh, many will rely on their uh, spouse as caregiver uh, or a family member. And I can tell you, I've seen that in many cases where the health of the caregiver becomes as much of a uh, concern as the health of the one who's receiving care because there's so much work and a tendency to drag themselves down or injure themselves or even injure those who they're trying to care for and love. So there are planning pieces that have to occur even in that situation.
0: So you plan for the, the worst, right? Absolutely. And then work toward the best. And so in that case, you might say, okay, we're going to plan if one of us were to need or both of us were to need and then and then really make an effort to not have to need that plan. Like you said. Yeah, Curtis, did you want to say something? Well, I just, you know, for the people who, who want
2: to stay at home, and I, and I get that, I think if, if given the choice, all of us would want to. But you've got to ask, you know, kind of important questions, and it gets back to the communication too, because you hear people go, well, my, my son and daughter-in-law only live mile away, they'll they'll come home if you ask them that, do they know that that's going to be their job? Uh, In fact, I talked to a childhood friend um, day before yesterday (laughs) who's living at home with his 90 year old mother who's broken her hip twice and um, he has put his life on hold to care for his mother and God bless him. But I don't think that's that's what mom and dad intended for him Um, but it's out of necessity. And I've also sat with a a widower who uh, is sitting in a $650,000 home where the heating unit on one side of the house does not work doesn't have the money to fix it but is intent on staying at home and has people that come in there part-time 90 years old uh, legally blind you know sits in a, in a chair next to the gas fireplace to keep warm on the you know, on the front end of the, the winter storm that came you know that's not the way you write it up and I don't think anybody can sit there and go yep this is exactly what I had in mind so it's it's just hard to hear that and party wants to just you know it's, it's you wanna have that mountain, just pop them on the head and say, what are you thinking? Um, not only did you fail to, and I think use the word fail, I mean, but but you're in this circumstance because of choices and you still have a chance to make some good choices. Well, let's sit down and think about that. But some people are you know, just in, so, so determined to see it play out the way they want it to play out even though it's not working
0: Well, and I think some people aren't thinking about it at all. I I don't think some people are thinking about it at all. Now, this group are planners. That's why they're here. And so these guys were preaching to the choir to a degree, but I'm hoping that others that are listening on this video later will go, oh, that's me that needs to be popped on the head with the mallet. Uh, There's a guy that we are helping uh, sell his home, and I think I want to just take it one step further. The planning isn't just for yourself. This gentleman, uh, his parents left him his home. The home that was their home. They left it to him. Uh, he's lived in it now for a period of time, not a long time. But he now has uh, been diagnosed uh, with terminal illness. He's in hospice. Not an older gentleman by any stretch of the imagination, on the younger end of retirement. And he cannot afford that house. It's on an acreage, uh, large acreage. He can't even afford to have it mowed. His parents left him that home in good conscience, I'm sure. I'm going to make an assumption that they did, that they planned to leave him that home because it was his inheritance. But they did not leave him with any funds to maintain that home, and so now he has a home, but no way to care for it. So he's having to sell it, but in order for him to sell it, we are having to front him a significant amount of money for a move uh, to take care of the maintenance of the outside of the house so it can be sold. To put a deposit down on a place so that he can move to, and then do a post-occupancy agreement with uh, the new owner so that he can liquidate what's left in the house after he moves out. It's quite a few hoops we're jumping through, and this gentleman is very grateful. We can't help everybody do that, um, and. I guess my point in saying that is when you're planning with people and they say, well, we're going to leave our home to our kids or our grandkids. It's like my son saying, mom, leave your boat to me. And I said, no problem. Can you afford the payment on it and to put gas in it? And if they can't, then how do you you deal with
1: that? Yeah, and so you you run into, there's there's all these Mm -hmm. options. I mean, you just mentioned the obvious one, sell it, right? right? But there's cost associated with that. And so with every option that you come up with to rectify an issue post the period where planning should have been done or could have been done, there's always going to be a cost associated with it. And so that's the thing to remember is the you know that when plans are not put in place ahead of time, that there will be a cost associated. So there are other options, not that I would advocate any or recommend any of them without actually discussing with the advisor. Uh, there are Obviously, the reverse mortgage, huge costs associated with reverse mortgages. I don't know if any of you have ever studied that. It's kind of a last resort. Absolute last right. resort, okay, to do. Uh, sale of the property. Uh, another thing I think that needs to, this goes back to the communication piece, and I wanna, I wanna jump back to that too. We deal with a lot of estates and trust where we run into the situation where the conversation's never been had with the family Uh, the children and the uh, parents of, do they actually want this stuff, right? And so there are times, I mean, we've we've even run into situations where there's collections, Right. right? And to the kid, it's a hoard. It's not a collection, right? It's a
0: strange inheritance. Absolutely. It's in the
1: way. It's something I have to deal with.
0: My dad left me with his metal collection. There you go. And
1: the answer answer is a 20-yard roll-off dumpster, right? right? That's that's the answer to that. And so, unfortunately, that's the case uh, in a lot of these situations. So the, the number one answer to that question is communicate ahead of time. Do you really want this? How do you want And then there are planning strategies can be done, utilizing life insurance earlier in life when planning's being done, or even long-term care insurance that pays a death benefit or as a cash value. Those types of things can be put in place ahead of time to accomplish what you're needing for liquidity, because that is one of the number one problems we see in the states is illiquidity. In other words, you have all these assets, but they're not liquid, you can't sell them readily, they're not highly marketable, and then you end up running into a fire sale situation where you're liquidating hard assets for a much lower price than their value just to raise liquidity. Uh,
0: Curtis, do you wanna say something we're gonna open up questions. Well, and this kind of jumps
2: into one of the earlier comments we had about keeping a home, for example. We deal with a lot of people, and it, I think it's generational to some degree, but I also just think it's a mindset, and that is uh, when we're, in the best of circumstances we help people with their planning as early as possible not a lot of 30 year olds getting involved in that some 40 year olds getting involved and 50 year olds kind of a sweet spot because should be the prime of your career should be a place where you can afford to 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 ensure certain risks um, or save for other risks 60s you start dealing with maladies that make you uninsurable or um, Various things, but the one thing I say about re- retaining a house, and I'll go back to the 90-year-old living in the house that only half of it's even heated, and that is, it's not a productive asset. You know, it's an asset, and if you're living in Southern California, it's probably appreciating pretty quickly. But in Oklahoma City, you just don't see that sort of appreciation. You see hot markets, you see cold markets. But at the end of the day, you got to pay for insurance, you got to pay for maintenance, you've got to pay taxes. It actually is a is a hole in your cash flow. Um, I and mean, then to, to reverse mortgages, I, I look at reverse mortgages kind of from a, from the, from the opposite direction of the borrowing, and that is you're giving up about forty percent of your equity. You know, it's it's kind of like an insurance policy of sorts. If you've got a half million dollar home, and they're going to loan you sixty percent of value, so you're going to take three hundred. You're going to have three hundred thousand dollar line of credit, but when that three hundred thousand dollars is borrowed, you can't borrow anymore. But the interest continues to accrue as long as you're alive. And if you live long time after taking out that mortgage, you're seeing the, you know, the dissolving of your equity in that home. Well, that's an interesting thing if someone can can acknowledge that because then when they say, well, someone else, you know, if you're talking to Spani- uh, Spanish Cove or, uh, uh, you know, those sorts of, of communities, um, you got to look at those sorts of things because if there's a, a you know six-figure buy-in, it may be cheaper than the reverse mortgage when you consider your loss of equity in your home. So I think that's part of the analysis. In fact, we do that. I've got uh, the the two um, communities that are sponsors here, and one that used to be a sponsor. We've got clients living in all of them, and we've been able to assist them with the evaluation about whether it's in their you know financially feasible, but also in their long-term best interest. And guess what? All three of them live it. You know, we've got all three communities. Doesn't? I love it because
0: you can plug that in. It's like oh, yeah. this isn't rocket science you guys. They have computers to do this. I, mean, I know they're smart guys but come on. But the resistance
2: we get and this is the point I was trying to make and lost my track but the science. resistance we get sometimes someone goes if we if we show them the plan it says at this point your estate is going to erode and we've got one in particular your, your estate and in this case it's about a four million dollar estate you're going to erode your estate at the, at the rate of about thirty thousand dollars a year.
0: And they
2: panic. And he's like I mean, you know, it brought an expletive and it brought back some pre-ugly, not ugly, but unexpected responses. And I said, wait a second, you know, what? why does that bother you? And he goes, I don't know, it just bothers me. And I said, well, then forget watching that $30,000 deficit. What does your plan say? You're not going to outlive your assets. And that's the goal we're always trying to help people solve for this. And what are those goals? Whether it's living at home, whether it's, and, and. and if that's the case, then you do have to look at what the cost, and, and Nikki has some handouts that talk about average care of, of home health care and, and you know variety of services. There's also nonprofits out there. Um, the villages provide resources to people who um, you know need help with transportation, things like that. That's what we, do. we're sort of a gatherer of smart people. I'm not smart at all. I just know, I know my limits, but I go find people who are smart on these different subjects and we pull it all together. Most people, not everybody, but most people don't have those sorts of resources and, and the ability to pull all that together, and better yet, to organize it. And that's okay. what we do. We organize those 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 sorts of considerations. And
0: programs. then you articulate it to them in a way that they can understand it and make a decision based on it. There's a difference between going online and gathering information and then not understanding what you have and being able to actually understand.
2: And the va- one of the many values in that is using your Real-world example: When the son says, "Mom, how are you going to handle this?" Instead of saying, "I don't know," she said, "I've got that covered. Right. We have a plan. We've been working on this for several years. It's all taken care of." And when he says, "When am I going to find out?" and Say, "When you need to find out." <laughs> but you know, but mom's not it. We got that covered.
0: Right. So it's some scripting, and we're going to do some classes on scripting with our downsizers club folks. Um, if you're having not having conversations. Sometimes it's because you're not really sure how to have the conversation. We're going to talk about how to have some of those conversations. Okay, so let's uh, open it up for questions, and here's how that plays out. When you have a question, we're going to have you ask it. I'm going to repeat it so that the folks at home know what you asked, and then I'll pass it off to the guys here to answer. So who wants to start us off? Yes, Miss Burns, what you got?
2: It is accessible, you can look up AIDS lab MIT, Google that and it'll pull it up. You can subscribe and you'll get much broader access, but there's, I mean, I, I didn't subscribe, I just went through there. You can search by topic, you can search by year of articles, things like that. But if you subscribe, I think you'll get sort of a, a routine mailer. Um, I'm probably gonna subscribe, I just didn't get around to it. But it's it's just interesting. There's a lot of resources out there, but age lab really kind of kind of tripped my trigger. And
0: Betty, I, when he told me about it, I sent the article to Naomi, and she's going to email it out to everyone today. So when you get the article, there should be a URL, and you can go to that URL where you find the article, and that will probably open the door to all the other stuff on there. Can I take about two
2: minutes and tell, give him a real quick takeaway of the article that, that she's got the link to? Yeah, I
0: think so. Yeah.
2: I'll do this really quickly. Um, really? So, so really? Remember, everything's <laughs> relative. Relatively <umbrella, umbrella>, quick <laughs> for me. So it really, it talks about the, the, the people, the, the, the happiness in retirement. And the statistics was roughly 59% of people are enjoying their uh, retirement if they fall into a particular planning category. It really lists three types of planners. Those are the joint at the hip, divide and conquer, and then the driver and passenger. Now
0: so they're writing those taking again, them, the goes down, so say them
2: again. Divide and conquer. Divide uh joint at, the hip, joint at the hip. Divide and conquer. And then driver and passenger. Now, just out of curiosity, because I'm not asking people like what's your net worth or have you done your planning, but in your marriage or in your life today, would you by show of hands, how many people would describe themselves as joint at the hip planners? Okay. Who would describe themselves as divide and conquer?
0: And this could be with a son or daughter, it could be it's with usually in a- couples.
2: I'm gonna the caveat, this is in couples. So divide and conquer, I see no hands going on. Okay, who would be the driver and passenger?
0: Either one, driver
2: or
0: passenger. Okay. Oh, now, that's the same? <laughs> we don't agree, Okay. On this
2: survey and in this article,
3: show of hands,
2: uh, who would think that the um Joint at the hip is the most effective planning um, method.
0: I would think it would be about by wrong. So I'm
2: saying maybe a quarter. Who would say, who would raise their hands and say divide and conquer is the most effective uh, system? One. So who would, then the, by definition, by default, everybody else would raise their hand collectively and say that the uh, driver passenger is the most All effective. Only the Oh so I, see right I see no hands. <laughs> right. Here's the answer: the most effective, by far, is divide and conquer. It sounds bad by connotation, but it's really my wife and I do it. She she handles the checking account, you know, she handles the cash flow, paycheck to paycheck. I handle all of the retirement accounts, hers, mine, all of it, and we do pretty good that way. And what that means is you don't you're not both sitting side by side saying, "Let me do all the research when it comes to." Um, our our retirement plan or where we're gonna live uh, in retirement, those sorts of things. It's like, you go get the information we need on one subject, whether that's retirement planning, I'll go work on, you know, burial plans, whatever. But the rate of of satisfaction is significantly higher for the divide and conquer. And here's the other thing, the two other things that come away, the um, happiness in uh, retirement, significantly higher, now here's a trick question is among those who use the divide and conquer do you think more than half or less than half rely on a, on a professional advisor hands up if you think less than half use an advisor
0: if they're satisfied
2: if okay. they fall into the category of divide and conquer uh, I would
0: say they don't use The number is over
2: 70% rely on do advisors you advisor? oh, okay. mm-hmm. so there's something to be said for that and that's not a commercial break It's just a fact, right? So, relying on professional advisors raises the probability of of contentment (laughs) in retirement significantly.
0: Well, and I could say too, just by if you kind of extrapolate this out into that conversation we had about communication, I see couples, and not just couples, but singles who are dealing with uh, an adult child or a family friend or someone who's also kind of helping them make decisions about housing, senior housing what happens a lot of times is they're not communicating effectively and if they have an advisor whether it's us or you or an attorney or it could be somebody from a lot of different disciplines what that advisor does sometimes is give them one the confidence of how to articulate it and also sometimes the words of how to articulate it and maybe in writing too so you've got so then, then the communication happens instead of my friend Jean saying i don't know she does know she just doesn't know how to say it does that make sense yes the inability to articulate
1: that effectively is is often a problem and so you know an advisor can often act as a compass for the conversation and keeping it headed in the right direction keeping it from going off and going
3: off track
0: well if you did nothing else today you talked me into getting back together with you guys now that COVID is over and I can Chris and I can meet because I'm going to need somebody to articulate my plan too. Well, yes,
2: based on that conflict,
0: it I saw that, that
1: hand.
2: And it's going to be done on your boat in the middle
3: of Lake All right, what
0: else do you guys have? Question by
3: Curtis had a segue from his house into what I won't talk about. And I heard this
2: on the radio, and I haven't heard anything else about it. And I'll go through exactly what I heard on the radio and tell me is it true? Is it happy? Whatever. Number one, couple, married, own a home. For some reason, at the same time, I say somebody has a car wreck and they both get killed. Children inherit the house. The house was bought 50 years ago for $100,000. It's now worth $300,000. They sell it for $300,000, no tax consequences. Our nice social expressive Mr. Biden, has now come up with something that the house is not valued at $300,000. It's valued at $50,000, $100,000, and they owe taxes on the $200,000. You're dealing with what's called a step-up-in basis. And the new administration is basically it's I don't think it's in the, the it's not in the in the act, it's you know, this this quasi quasi COVID stimulus, you know, one point nine trillion dollar deal. But he has made it clear that the step up in basis is on the table, as well as capital gains rates. So will you explain um, to the so, folks at home? Kind so, of mom and dad these? buy a house for seventeen thousand dollars. Because believe it or not, some of you are living in houses you paid seventeen thousand dollars for that are worth one hundred and eighty today. Right. So let's just round the numbers off. You've got one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in capital gain. Under the current tax code, if you pass away, we would appraise the home as of the date of death, and whatever the appraised value was would be. The cost basis would be stepped up to that same number. So, if that $17,000 house you bought 40 years ago is now worth $180, when we praise it for $180, we go in and change as a matter of record. It's, you know, it's it's reported to the IRS, directly or indirectly, as having a cost basis of $180,000. That's the step-up in basis. So that if it's sold for $180,000, there'll be no capital gains. If the step-up in basis goes away, if it's sold for $180,000 within 12 months of the parent's death, you'll pay ordinary income, a short-term capital gain, on the $160,000 in gains at ordinary income tax rates. So it's a tax raise, is what it is.
0: How would that be different if they had it in a trust?
3: Yeah, there would
1: be many different no yeah, the, the cost basis shifts are the same even for irrevocability of, of the trust. One thing I would add to that is the question you ask is pertinent because uh, what we're gonna see is something like this, like you're talking about, a change in the capital gains taxation rates and uh, calculation of, of capital gain. We will see that associated with a tax bill. It it probably, I say, I would say more than likely will not be associated with any other kind of bill, it will be part of a broader tax package. And I can tell you that all things are on the table with regard to taxes. Uh, The shift in that that you're specifically talking about, the uh, shifts in uh, taxation rates for capital gains uh, other than sales at home, but for equity uh, sales and and 1099B or barter sales we call it in the industry. So there's gonna be, I think, Probably not for 21. I think it's uh, gonna be, it's gonna take a while for them to get these things in place, get them through committee, get them to a bill and to the floor for passage for implementation. But most of the experts say that we are probably gonna see a shift in tax code come 2022.
2: That's kind of the target date. Let me jump in here. Some letters you don't see up there is CPA. Neither Danny nor I are accountants or CPAs, so we're not dispensing tax advice. What we're saying is, Compliance. this is this is what is seems to be on the table, part of the the the, the administrators administration's platform. Um, agree that it's probably unlikely to happen in 2021, but never say never. And I would also say that it may be wrapped in a phrase like simplifying the tax code, or um, you know, a, a, what do they call it? A, a Increased contributions—that was yeah. the one Bill Clinton it. But the reality is, it's—it's a—it's a play. It is—it is, is contemplated for sure, and the the effect would be higher tax rates and and loss of certain benefits that 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 may be viewed as being advantageous to you know that bucket number one group—the people who have you know high high net worth or high income or any of those sorts of things or even moderate income—it's going to affect people across the board.
0: Anybody that owns a home. Well anybody anybody of means, I
2: mean it's gonna affect, you know, pension income, it's gonna affect, you know, all sorts of different income classes because there were and understand too, this is this is Curtis talking, not our wealth management, but it's you know, it's it's attacking certain um, you can call them loopholes, but there, there, there are certain advantages in the in the tax code that are meant to stimulate the economy. I mean, you want to have capital gains rates as opposed to ordinary income tax to encourage investment because that's how you finance corporate America, who makes the goods and products that make our lives better. So I'm I'm proselytizing, but uh, anyway, I've done it.
0: Next question. Thank you, Leonard, for that. That was good information. Yeah, what else? I kind of have a question. Okay. I don't know if properties, let's say one's a vacation property, we'll just call it that for second. Okay. And so you got you got a second property that that, and you have a child and you're wondering how should I leave that to them? Through what method? Should I put their name on it? Should I leave it to them in a will? What should I do? Sure.
1: So first of all that's a very specific question to your specific case. So I want to make clear that this is not it'd be difficult for me to sit here and say, oh you'd be better off doing this or this. I'll tell you the profile of what we need to look at to determine that, okay? And one is when, when you look at uh, giving something to someone during lifetime, you, you will need to make sure with your tax counselor you file a gift tax return because that is a gift that exceeds the exclusion amount of $15,000 annually. I'm sure the place is worth more than fifteen dollars right? So that, that's something that you need to consider. There will be some estate planning considerations too, depending on the size of your overall estate. So there are a lot of things that go into the answer to that question for very specific uh, cases. And so when it comes to that, I mean, it. it, I would that I would back up to say that is a tax planner or a tax counselor question that you need to visit heavily with a CPA
2: or whoever works on your. All right, so another perspective on that too is, and I, I can tell the story that goes behind this, but if your, wife, if your daughter becomes a co-owner mm-hmm. and her marriage falls apart, mm-hmm. you have the risk that that could be treated as a marital asset, and even if it's not, it could be attacked by the, by the spouse, the in-law. If your daughter were to have any tax issues, the IRS will come after it, and they don't care if it's marital or otherwise. Um, if she has any sort of tort claim against her, so there's a there's a risk in doing that It's a simple way of staying out of probate, but it doesn't come without its risks One thing we'll always say is when someone comes with a question that's so specific as that is My answer is I don't know enough facts to really give you a judgment that but I think what I'd say is that's an option yeah. I don't know if
3: it's a good one.
0: You know, it's interesting um, I had a client last week that I was talking with we coach on a by every every other week We coach on Friday and she was telling me She has a house in Arizona that she lives in. Her son basically bought it, gave it to them, the parents. Now they're going to move, sell the house, and she's going to buy another house, and the husband is going to, they're splitting up, and they're going to go get him an apartment. Okay, they did all of the transfer documents and all that stuff with absolutely no advisement. The son just thought, oh, I'll just put it in mom and dad's name and give it to them. The house is appreciated significantly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so now they're in a pickle. They're in a real pickle. And so they're having to go through a bunch of legal work to see, and I don't think they can fix it. I mean, after it's done, it's kinda of done, kinda of deal. But I, I bring this up to say that the internet is a wealth of information. There's some really great information on the internet. It is not the place to go to ask that question and then go and do yourself what the internet tells you to do because the internet doesn't ask you the questions Danny just pointed out, right? Which is, what's the bigger picture? The internet just says, oh, do this. And so I think that the challenge, really smart people sometimes think that they can do it themselves. And uh, I'm the first to admit that when it comes to anything financial or legal, you know, we should all be seeking some advice from somebody that has a better, Letters.
2: Gifting is a very sneaky little place yes. that can bite you in, the, in, yeah. the, in okay. the rear. I mean, another example would be if you gifted half of it to your daughter and she came back and said, You know, I, need, I want mom to have all that back. I'm going to give it right back to her. That's another gift. Yeah. And, and, you know, tax avoidance is a big thing. It doesn't mean it's necessarily taxable, but it's, it's just not productive. There's better ways of skinning that cat. So, again, everything's got to be case specific. If someone approaches us about how do I invest this recent inheritance, the answer is, we don't know enough about you, and anybody who can anybody can lead with. In fact, that's a good trick question if you're interviewing an advisor. Is if you go to an investment advisor, an insurance guy, whoever, and you go, "Listen, I I've got some money. How do you think I ought to invest it?" If they go, "I've got something for you," don't let it hit right. the table before you hit the exit door. <laughs>
0: that's the first the first sign. They sure. don't
2: know. They've got. It, it, they're they They may as well I'm be sorry. knocking on doors. I and mean, in this pocket, they got one product. In this pocket, they got the other. If someone's willing to answer that question without spending a lot of time with you, probably not the person you want to be engaging. That's just my my personal opinion.
1: No, that's great. Just as a broader point, real quickly, Uh, I think it's important to recognize the the way your question was structured as it it was very specific, and I can appreciate it, and your desire to know. But uh, I also want to just posit to everyone here that if you're changing title on anything, you need advice. It need, needs to be either tax advice, legal advice, whatever the case may be. If you're changing title on something, title of ownership, whether it be you outright gift it to someone or you add them on a title uh, to join, that can have some real implications for you, especially in a higher network space, and even more specifically in a mid-tier uh, worth space, it can be highly effective. So I, I recommend if you have something like that, you consider. Please seek advice. And
0: I'm going to take it, you're talking about from the financial advisor standpoint and and legal standpoint as well. Real estate agents, guys, we know different types of title. We know what a quick claim deed is. We know what a warranty deed is. But we are not the person that should be advising you on which tool to use for purposes of transferring. And so if you're talking to your, if if we're not your realtor and you're talking to your realtor and how should I do this and they tell you, they're not the right person to be advising you on that either. Okay. Okay. What else? Did everybody see the handout? Okay. Oh. Okay. Hang on one second, Oliver. Before I forget, um, there's a handout on your table that said cost of living in Oklahoma City. Uh, cost of senior living, rather. And then there's also another handout by Genler, Uh that's on. Uh, should be on your. Is that also on your handout? No. It's not. No. 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 Sorry. No. You don't have that one. We'll get that one to you in your email follow-up. It's uh, And all I did was provide you basically with the data, which I got from for my handout, okay? Genworth is another place you can go if you are researching the cost of care, senior care across the country. Genworth is the, uh, they're the one y'all probably have heard, you know, used to sell a lot of uh, long-term care insurance. Genworth, G-E-N-W-O-R-T-H they uh they put out reports on an annual basis uh cost comparisons around the country i have the full report uh, from 2020 if anybody wants to see it but on this uh cost of living flyer that i gave you i added to it uh the subsidized independent living and also adult day services along with the in-home care assistance because i think one of the things we've all talked about in different formats and of our seminars is the in-home care costs. And when you start to have someone in your home to care for you for 40 hours a week, the cost can add up to more than sometimes assisted living. So I just wanted you to see those numbers. But the subsidized, you might put a star by that. Um, I met with a lady recently who uh, is retired. Um, She has her retirement income, uh, owns her home, not a lot of other assets but she's gonna qualify based on her income, uh, she's gonna qualify for some senior living options that are independent senior living options that are based on your income. And typically the rents are gonna be somewhere around 30% of your gross income. And sometimes those gross incomes are adjusted based on healthcare costs and things like that, especially if they're like the county or city owned properties. Others are not, others are just a blanket, 30% of your gross income, but keep that in mind, whether it's for you or someone you know, if their income, if they're a single person, and let's say the income uh, is 22, 24,000 a year, um, there are some really nice senior living options that are independent living, they're not healthcare, independent living options for people that are very nice, that are being built around the country. There's a couple out in Yukon right now, actually. Now here's what you need to remember about those though. The waiting lists are going to be very long on those the longer we go, so they're not enough of them for everybody in that income range. So they're going to be waiting lists, which is kind of one of the reasons we started the Downsizers Club, is because we know that if you're planning ahead as long as five years out, we're gonna be able to find out a lot of stuff, right, in five years time to help you so that you're on a track to be where you need to be, right? That doesn't mean you can't move sooner. It doesn't mean you can't wait till later. It just means that within five years' time, we can, if you need to be on a waiting list for some place, we can help you get on that waiting list, right? And then see you through to that. Yeah, Oliver, you had a question?
2: Um, Question, Curtis is at Arbor's Bank. Mm -hmm. Is Danny also with you? Yes, Yes, sir.
0: So Oliver's asking how they're compensated. Um, so let me do a disclosure for, for everybody because uh, Oliver asked the question. You guys know, those of you who do don't know this, so I'm gonna say it, we don't do commercials up here, right? These guys aren't up here to sell their services and they do this as a, as a courtesy uh, for education purposes. This is not a commercial, but since he asked the question, we'll answer it. Um, and what what I think is important to hear from from me to you is that the reason that we align with Arvest so well is that they have a community service arm of what they do that they do a lot of advising and a lot of consulting with people that they don't actually have as customers. They may not even have bank accounts there. Um, While I'm sure they would love to have your business, that's not their number one priority. So I'm just gonna say that and then guys go ahead and answer. Well, yourself. Oliver's giving us the
2: opportunity to kind of share that, okay. but I want to challenge you because you've heard me before, you've met me before, you've been here longer than I have. How do you think I'm compensated?
0: Well, I think we, a lot of us, this, this is new information. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that I've made the message clearly to you in the past. It,
2: and what I want people to know is that
0: when you plan, you need to plan for a compensation, it's not a free service. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so Oliver said to those at home, he said he's wanting to make sure everybody understands that when you're doing planning, you have to plan for the compensation of the services of the planners. All right,
2: so this is gonna be a commercial, because it's unavoidable, but we're here to sponsor because we want to be a, a community, you know, we want to be a service to the community, but we also need to grow our business. Everybody's in the business, this is commerce, that's what we do. Our planning piece, we don't charge anything for. Um, so the question is, what's in it for us? A, we have an ownership that allows us to do this as a community service. It doesn't get in the way of us conducting our business the way it needs to be done and serving our clients the way they need to be served. If that ever changes, um, we would unapologetically stop doing it. Um, In the words of Jim Walton, don't ever apologize for doing the right thing for your customer. But right now, it's something we can do at a community community level to all comers. Now, the, the, the more we do, the more we get involved in that at any given time, in their seasons, it, you know, the process can be slowed down by that a little bit, and that, that's probably not even worth mentioning, but um, Danny's a certified financial planner. We've got another guy here in Oklahoma City that, will, you know, my joining office uh, also is a certified financial planner, but there's a lot of certified financial planners out in, in the greater Oklahoma City area. So you can pull all of them. The difference is that is, that may be their sole business. So be prepared and ask the question, you know what? What would it be the cost of this planning process? And it's going to come down to a, either a flat rate or an hourly rate. The more questions you ask, the more time they get involved in that. It's going to change the, the fee structure. So, for us, we do it. It's just an accommodation we make. Um,
0: so the planning is free.
2: The, what's in it for us is a we want we want people to know that that's what our best wealth management does. If people need an advisor uh, to handle investment management to assist them with the state plan, not. Even the estate planning piece—we're not attorneys either. We don't draft trusts or wills, but we help people get to the attorneys that best suit them to do that very thing. But we do it for for um, visibility. But also, if someone needs someone to, to assist them with their estate or with their investments, maybe we'll be the people to do that for you. But we're salaried; we're not commissioned. Um, everything we do, we do on a fee basis. Um, we we publish our fee schedule, so if you ever want to see our fee schedule, send me an email. To send it uh, if you want to know what other people are doing in our community, I, I know what they, you know, I know what my peers charge, I know exactly what they do, I know how they deliver their service, all
0: those sorts of things. So, there's nothing hidden about it, no. it's just hard to answer because there's so many different and it, and it comes down to it. Looks, yeah. it's like
2: it depends on what you're asking us to do, but what we're talking about in our, our process, we don't charge anything for that. That day may change, but it, I've been with the bank for uh, 14 years this month, and uh, that hasn't changed, and I've heard no undertone that that might. Final word I would add to that
1: is you can look at it from the perspective of we don't get paid until we manage an asset for you. It's, it's really that that general and that clear.
0: You know, I, I think it's interesting, too, um, we, my, one of my family members uh, was, it was necessary for us to do some plan, retirement planning with him and uh, a trust and whatnot, and he really needed someone to manage the trust, um, and I wasn't the person to do that. I needed to have that be an objective person, Uh, which I recommend, by the way, that you don't try to manage your uh, family member's trust just because of family issues. That's a whole other topic we've done before, right, Curtis? (laughs) Um, But anyway, point being, I had met Curtis and his team, uh, Janet and Kendra and all of them had been on panels, and I had probably, I don't know how many hours worth of time I had consulted with Curtis and his team on just getting advice. And they're so gracious um, to just share you know, advice. And then I, then I said, I need somebody to sit down with this family member and manage the trust. We need to have an interview. I approached that from a not, hey, Curtis is the right guy for this, let's do it. It was, we're gonna interview our best and their team. And we sat down and interviewed and, and did that process as if I had never met him before. Well, I had, so I had a certain amount of report. But here's what I learned from that process was that there were no assumptions made that I was going to, we were going to use our best. They knew that there are other places out there that can do that, and they sat down and did the questionnaire and did the process to make sure that it was a fit. They interviewed us, we interviewed them, and it worked out. So I think just like we tell you to interview multiple realtors if you think you need to, interview multiple advisors, interview multiple trust companies, interview multiple attorneys. I think this is one of the things, it must be generational because I've talked to so many people who say, you know, I just don't want to waste people's time by interviewing them. And I'm thinking, I'm in sales. I expect you to interview me. I, I expect that. Now, I want to get hired 10 out of 10 times, right? But I'm not. I'm not going to get hired 10 out of 10 times. So I know that if I get hired 8 out of 10 times, that's a pretty good percentage, right? And we know that. So please don't ever worry about interviewing people. They're, that's Their job is to compete for your business, and you should make them compete. Um, okay, I'm going to stop there. Any last questions? And then I've got some housekeeping, and so we'll wrap it up. All right, give these guys a hand. Appreciate them. Um, They do have a table back here, so if you guys are interested in setting up an appointment, you can do that in two ways. You can just go talk to them. Or on your evaluation today, there's a place that says, I'd like to schedule an appointment with – what does that say, Betty? I'd like to schedule an appointment with – Our Best Wealth and Trust Management right there on your piece of paper. I put that there because since they were the only panelists, I thought I'd just name them. So if you want to schedule that, you circle it, and then Naomi will make sure that they know to get a hold of you. All right? So if you guys want to meet them at your table, I'm going to do a couple of housekeeping items, and then we're going to wrap it up. All right. Give me two things that you took away from today. Somebody give me one. One thing that you took away from today that you didn't walk in the door knowing. Communicate with your family. Oh, communicate with your family, I love it. Yes, I A ma'am. new term, care planning. A care, oh, care planning, a new State term. planning. I do, care planning is a good plan. It's a part of that estate planning, good. Care planning, good. All right, that was two, anybody else? Clear goals. Goals, goals. Clear goals. Needs, wants, and wishes. I heard over here one more. Gentleman in the back, who said that? I
3: would say clear goals.
0: Clear goals. Oh, clear goals, yes, thank you. Cindy? Throw more things away. Throw more things away, <laughs> I love it, that's awesome, that is so awesome, alright, Oh, that's awesome, okay, so uh, our next three seminars, our next three seminars, April, May, and June are a three-part series, uh, and this is really based on the feedback we're getting from a lot of people that we're talking to, we're going to do the truth about downsizing, and we do that as one topic, right? It's a lot to talk about in one session, so we're breaking it into three parts. The psychology behind letting go, what goes on between your ears that's making it difficult for some and not as difficult for others. How do we get over some of the obstacles maybe associated with that? Number two, downsizing made easy method. That is essentially what we've kind of coined as our our way of helping people downsize. It's ten steps. We're going to take you through what they are in the order and why they are the way they are. Okay, and that's a pretty big topic. And then the third one, uh, we'll have some of our folks talk to you um, from estate liquidation aspects. How how to get rid of that stuff that's left. That your kids don't want, or that maybe has value, and you're not sure how much value, etc. We're going to get a couple of different estate liquidation options in here for you to hear from, so you can ask them questions about process, pricing, uh, strategy, all of those things. Okay? So uh, you can again register for any or all of them. That's totally fine. I just wanted you to know that that if you come and we don't address. The issue you had in your mind, it may be because we're doing it in a, in a three-part series, okay? Uh, last year, uh, we did a shred party. You guys remember that? We had everybody show up and shred your stuff. We're doing that again on uh, April 22nd. April 22nd. Uh, there was a little confusion last time, so I want to clear it up. You can bring as much as you want. There is no limit to how much you can shred. Basically, what they do is they pull a big truck. It's like the size of a, of a trash truck, basically. And they, it has a machine on it that they they put all the stuff that you brought into, like looks like a trash dumpster, and then they stick it on their little thing on the truck. They open the lid, it goes up, it shreds it right there, on site, and you can hear it happen, and then uh, you drive off, okay? Uh, You can put as much in it as you want because we will not run out of space. We have two hours, we have two hours time from 10 to noon, so anytime during that 10 to noon, just pull up. It'll be at our Keller Williams office where our our corporate office is there in Oklahoma City at uh, right behind, it's behind the Mercy Clinic and the Bank First on the corner of uh, Memorial and Meridian. So Mercy Hospital's on the, be on the east side. The bank first and stuff's on the west side, and we're right behind it. It's in a little cul-de-sac back there. You'll see the truck, and we'll have signs. The Senior Living Truth Series signs will direct you. Um, you can bring a bag, you can bring a truck full, you can bring a pickup truck full. Uh, now, I would recommend if you bring a semi-truck full, we will probably not have room for that. Okay, so let give us a heads up if you're going to go bigger than a pickup truck, okay? Um, you don't have to take paper clips off. You don't have to take uh, staples out. You can leave things in file folders. Um, you can leave stuff in boxes, and they'll just dump it into, you know, the dumpster, and then give you your box back if you want it back, or, or bag if you want it back. So, uh, and if you have a friend, a neighbor, have them come. All right. I don't think we're going to run out of space. Now, what I don't recommend is you invite your whole church group. Okay. So. Uh, family, friends, but Chris is shaking his head and Shannon saying, come on, bring them all. I don't know which one to listen to.
3: Uh,
0: You do not need to register for that. You just show up. We will want to take your name uh, so that we know who came and we just kind of try to keep track so that we know how many people we had. That's all we're asking for when you come. Okay? Last but not least, again, our Downsizers Club uh, if you think that you're going to make a, make a move or downsize. This isn't about decluttering, by the way. If you just need to declutter, talk to Lori. Uh, and we can maybe help you with that, just on a side note. But if you really are thinking about moving from your larger space to, your, to a smaller space in the next five years, that's what this is all about. And if you want more information, feel free to talk to one of us back there, because um, we got all kinds of fun stuff. They're gonna meet next week, those of you who are here, our Downsizers Club will meet next week. Um, we're gonna meet as a small group here, but not in this room. We're gonna meet across the hall over there in the smaller room, and we're gonna be talking about um, a, a whole host of things, but primarily your plan. What is your plan, 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 and we're gonna put plans in place. Really, one of the benefits of that group, I think, and the reason one of the reasons we started it was we help each other, right? This is kind of a peer support group, <laughs> right. Hi, my name is Nikki and I'm an downsizer, right? Okay, so that's kind of how that will go. All right, and again, our sponsors, you guys, we could not do this without them. Uh, what Curtis and Daddy were talking about today, if you have not done the gift program at uh, the Villages OKC offers, you might want to check on that because all of this plays a part. That communication piece is their mantra, and it's about how to communicate with your family and friends about what your plans are. So um, thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next month, if not before. All right. Thank you.